Let's bow our heads as we open God's Word. Our gracious Lord and Savior, Father, it is a privilege to be here today to worship you, especially in this Christmas season, Father, when we can reflect how you left the glory of heaven to come and to, be, uh, to take on human flesh because of your love for us. And Lord, today as we celebrate that and we look at four qualities, Father, that you possess, may we walk away encouraged, may we walk away challenged, may we walk away to celebrate Christmas even with a new meaning this morning. Father, certainly we think this time of the year is to be peace on earth and goodwill toward men, but certainly this week that was shattered once again in San Bernardino, California. And Father, we want to pray this morning for those families who lost loved ones. We pray for your grace and your mercy to be upon them. Father, we pray that you might minister to those families as they grieve in this Christmas season. And Lord, may they sense your presence. And we pray, Father, we certainly don't know the souls of those who passed away, but we pray that even through this, uh, Lord, some good could come and some people could come to know Christ. Father, I want to pray for our brother Joe Dukes this morning, who is on his way to Sri Lanka to minister. I pray, Father, as they are in the slums and as they're in the cities and all in the country, and Lord, they have great opportunities this week to minister to hundreds and hundreds of especially boys and girls, that you might use Joe and the pastor that's with him this week. And Lord, may there be a harvest of souls there in Sri Lanka this week. And so today, Father, we commit this time to you. May your Holy Spirit uh, give us, Lord, openness to hear what you desire for us today. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Well, today we start a brand new Christmas series called A Savior is Born, and I'll preach today, and Pastor John will be preaching the second part of that next week. I invite you to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We'll simply be looking at one verse this morning, and uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Christmas is supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year, isn't it? It's a time that we... Uh, send Christmas cards. It's a time that we uh, greet each other uh, with a Merry Christmas. It's a, a time of joyful singing songs like Jingle Bells, Joy to the World. Um, but it's well documented. It's well documented that 45% of North Americans struggle with this Christmas season. Um, some of them struggle because of a death of a loved one. Some of them struggle because of a, a painful divorce. Some of them struggle because maybe the loss of a job in this past year. For some, it's just, boy, another year has come and gone, and what I hoped to accomplish didn't happen. What I had said as a New Year's resolution didn't go the way I thought it was. So in some ways, it's just the reminder that the year's coming to an end and it's full of disappointment. And you know, there's one word, and we're going to keep coming back to it this morning as we look at these four qualities of Christmas and the four qualities of Christ, and that is the quality of hope. Hope is so important, and to me, hope is a big part 
of Christ coming to this earth. When we think of it, the book of um, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. In other words, that you know, when we when we hope and then that hope is put off and we don't see it fulfilled, often it can affect us uh, spiritually. It can affect us physically. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Dr. Victor Victor Frankel, who wrote a book, Man's Search for Meaning, was a uh, prisoner at the uh, Auschwitz prison camps there in Germany. He was a psychiatrist, and so while he was there, imprisoned himself, he wondered why was it that some people were able to survive uh, the horrible things that happened to him, and other people were not. They died in those camps. And in that study, he came back and he said this, the prisoner who had lost faith in the future, his future was doomed. With the loss of belief in the future, he also lost his spiritual hold. He left, let himself decline and became subject to mental and physical decay. What was it they lost? They lost hope. Hope is one of the most important things that we can have. And I believe that we find that hope in a person, and that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, some 2,000 years before Christ left heaven and came here to earth, Isaiah the prophet wrote these words. Look at them with me. They're up on the screen. It says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Four qualities of Christ this morning. Four qualities that give us great hope. And my, my desire this morning is that you'll walk out of here with hope this morning. Hope for each day that you live. Hope for eternity. No matter what you face in your life, that you will have a sense of hope. Quality number one this morning, and it comes from Wonderful Counselor. Jesus as my counselor, Jesus as my counselor reveals God's love for me. Jesus as my counselor reveals God's love for me. These are interesting words. Wonderful is the word wonder. It really could read wonder of a counselor. That's how it could read, wonder of a counselor. That word wonder is the same word that's used that talks about Jesus' miracles in Egypt. When the people of Israel came out of Egypt and he opened up the sea and they walked through on dry ground, the word wonder is used there for the word miracle. When he calls the, um, the water to come from the rock, when the pillar of cloud uh, by day and the pillar of fire by night led the Israelites, it's the same word that's used, wonder, wonder. It means an impact created by a supernatural God. 
the impact created by a supernatural God. So his, his counseling that he gives us, his words that he has for us, even the word of God, they are powerful. They're impactful. And let me just say this morning, listen to me. Listen, if you hold the word of God in your hands, you hold power. You hold the wonder of God's power. His words are powerful. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 11:2, upon the spirit of wisdom rests. The spirit of wisdom rests upon Christ. You know, I have a degree in counseling, and I love counseling. I love to spend time with people, helping them to work through the problems of life. And uh, sometimes I'm in the middle of a session, and I ask for that wisdom. And I say, Lord, the wisdom that rests upon you, would you give that same wisdom as I try to share and help with these people? But you know, one of the great portions of Scripture, um, it's not up on the screen, but just listen as I read it to you, because it helps you to understand, again, this wonderful counselor that gives you hope. Listen to these words. They're from Hebrews chapter 4. It says, verse 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. And he's sharing, listen, we have a high priest. We have a mighty, we have this wonderful counselor who is there to help us. And he understands everything that you're going through. He can sympathize with you. He can empathize with you. Why? Because he's been here in the Son of God and he's lived upon this earth just like we do. He knows the struggles of sin. He knows what it means to lose somebody you love. He knows disappointment. And so he can share with us out of a heart of empathy and sympathy, if you would. That's this wonderful counselor. This wonderful counselor. And you know, when you think about being a counselor, one of the greatest qualities that you need to have is you need to have that quality of love. You need to be able to love that person who sits across from you. And certainly, one of the greatest qualities that Jesus had was that of love. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, we'll put it up there, it says, But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This, one, this wonderful counselor loves you so much that he was willing to leave heaven, come here to earth, and die on the cross for your sins. You know, and it's a verse that, and I want to put it up here because it's a verse that we say all the time, but I'm not sure we understand the impact of it. And that verse, the verse that we quote, John 3.16, look at that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Why did God have to do that? God had to do that because of our sin that separated us from him. See, we're born into this world lost and condemned and on our way to hell. But he loved you so much. You, each of you individually loved you so much that he was willing 
willing to come and die, that whosoever believes should not perish, but have everlasting life. I love the word whosoever. Whosoever. That's you. That's me. That's all of us who sit here today, born into a world lost and condemned to spend eternity. But the wonderful counselor understood love and he came and died for you so that you might not have to spend eternity separated from him in hell. This wonderful counselor, the magnitude of his love. He loves you. He paid the price for your sin. I'm not even sure that we as Christians who sit here today begin to understand the magnitude of his love. I was thinking this week, you know, about how, how we love each other and how we love our children, how we love our spouses. And, but to really to comprehend the love of God and how immense and how enormous that is, it's really hard to do. And so I have a, just a simple little science uh, lesson this morning for us to maybe help us to understand the, uh, the enormity, the immensity of the love of God. And so, I'm going to put up there for you a picture of our solar system, and uh, you will see from that, um, so we have the sun over here, and then we have Mercury and Venus and Earth and Mars and Jupiter and Saturn and Uranus and Neptune, and uh, I just want you to look at the size of the Earth, like compare it to like Jupiter, how we're a little bit smaller, aren't we? But then, you know, compare Jupiter to the sun. Go ahead to the next slide. So when you really put it in perspective, there's the earth and there's the sun. And then in, in this one, it's, it's enormous, isn't it? When you start to think how enormous the sun is compared to us, we become just a speck. In fact, somebody said you could take a hundred earths and drape them across the front of the sun. A hundred earths across the front of the sun. Now, if you wanted to get it even more technical, you can take 960,000 earths and put them into the sun. That's how small we are when we're compared to the sun. But it gets better than that. Okay? So, now, when you take the sun over here on the left, and Arcturus, look at this star. Look at, look at the size of that star compared to the sun. And it even gets better than that. Let's look at the next one. So look at, look, look at now where Arcturus is here compared to Antares. See, that's a star too, but it's huge. It's huge. And listen to me this morning. That's how huge God's love for you is. That's how huge Jesus' love for you is. And again, just putting those pictures up and helping us to see how huge this huge, one of the hugest stars is. It's amazing to stop and think, God loves me. He loves you that much. God loves you more than the largest star or the largest planet. His love for you is more vast than the 225 billion galaxies there are. He loves you. It's vast. It's incomprehensible. It's humanly. We don't even have the words to explain it. When our, my girls were growing up, I remember sometimes we'd play a little game, and we'd say, how much do you love me? And I'd say, I love you this much. 
And then I'd say, I love you this much. And then I'd say, I love you more than the universe. And they would say, I love you too, Daddy, more than the universe. And it was neat to hear those words. And then, we, then they got into college and say, we love you a whole lot, Dad. Just give me the credit card. Changed a whole lot, doesn't it? But that's the reality. But, you know, it's, we try to explain it to our kids, you know, how much we love them. But think of it this morning. This wonderful counselor, wonderful counselor, loves every one of you sitting here today that much. Do you ever feel... Well, let's admit it. Do you ever feel, do you ever just have a day in your life where you say, man, nobody loves me? You ever been there? Yeah. If, if we're honest, we probably all have from time to time. You know, you look at your spouse who's sitting next to you, and sometimes you fight with them. And sometimes you feel maybe that you're not loved by them or, uh, or, or your children. Sometimes you don't feel very loved by your children or your children might not feel very loved by you. But the reality of this wonderful counselor that we're talking about this morning, he loves you immensely. God loves you the whole universe and beyond. So when you believe in the enormity of God's love for you and the intensity of his desire to have a relation with you, you'll be surprised by hope. Just dwelling on the love of God, the fact that he came here in the form of his son, Jesus, to show you the enormity of his love by dying for you, it gives us hope. It gives us hope. There's a second quality this morning, though, I want to talk to you about for a few minutes. Jesus, as the mighty God, is in control of all things. Jesus is the mighty God is in control of all things. The word mighty here, it's an interesting word also, just like the word wonderful was. It's neat how he uses these adjectives that have meaning to us. But it's the word hero, it's the word hero, um, mighty. It's a divine hero, a divine hero, a heroic God. So it's this heroic God came for his people. He came for his people. And so Jesus says the mighty God is in control of all things, and he is a hero. And you know, there's a thing, everybody looks for a hero today, don't we? I mean, I was growing up and, you know, um, in the 60s, they had Batman and Robin, and, and now we have Superman, we have all kinds of heroes. And I remember growing up, there was Hercules. And so these all uh, heroes that we need. But truly, God, when we think of the mighty God, he has the quality, the only quality of being a hero. And when we think about the one quality of a hero, it's this. A hero takes control of the situation. And you, you, you watch a movie about a hero, and things will seem out of control, and it looks like there's no what? Hope. There's no hope. And all of a sudden, the hero shows up, doesn't he? And once again, he brings a situation that seems to be out of control in control. He is the mighty hero. One of the attributes of God that is most comforting to me is his sovereignty. It is comforting, his sovereignty. 
just knowing that nothing happens in my life or in your life that he doesn't know about and that he isn't in control of. That's the good, it's the bad, it's the ugly. The things that happened in my life, he's aware of them all. And often, all the time, he's working behind the scenes. Sometimes I say I'm out of control, but he is not out of control. Now listen, don't misunderstand me this morning. Jesus doesn't cause uh, the bad and ugly things in life, but he allows them in order to grow our faith, to make us more into the image of Christ. Listen to these verses, James chapter 2, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. It says, Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when the tests and challenges come as you, uh, as you um, or they come from all sides. You know that under pressure your faith is made alive and it's forced into the open and shows its true colors. In other words, that God allows us to go through these different trials and tribulation to strengthen our faith. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. It says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you, are, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that they may prove the genuineness of your faith of a greater worth than gold, which perishes. <coughs> Excuse me. Even though refined by fire may result in praise, glory, and honor when, <coughs> excuse me, when Jesus Christ is revealed. And so this shows us again that everything we go through in life, he is accomplishing a purpose in our life. He is always in control. And so when we look at these verses and we think about what it says in James and we think about what it says in Peter, you know, and we look at the things that happen in life and even the, the horrific thing that happened this week in California, we sometimes stop and say, man, God, what are you doing here? God, are you aware of the hurt? Are you aware of the pain? And sometimes even in our own lives, we go through things that bring us pain physically sometimes, spiritually sometimes, emotionally sometimes. But to realize that God is in control. He is a sovereign God. Do you believe that this morning? Do you really believe that this mighty God, this heroic God, is in control of your life? I want to give you, a, again, just another sort of science lesson today. When we uh, think about this, who knows what this is? An atom. Very good. It's an atom. Um, so it's a picture of an atom. This atom is made of... Uh, particles called what? Protons, neutrons, and electrons. Okay, think back to your science classes now. And uh, <clears throat> in the middle, we have the what? We have the neutrons and the protons. And we know that the uh, protons have a what? Positive field, if you would. And the neutrons have what? They're neutral. Okay? And uh, physics... Um, have discovered that two positive charges put together, they won't clash together, but they resist each other. Remember when you were a kid and you had a magnet? Okay, remember with the magnets? Uh, we take the magnets 
and kind of turn the polarity and try to push them together. And you can't do that because what do they do? They resist each other. That's what should happen in the nucleus of an atom. But instead, going back to the picture, you'll notice that the protons and neutrons, what are they doing? They're clinging together. They're clinging together. Um, They're sticking together. So when we think about these protons and neutrons, they're clinging together. It's like taking a magnet and reversing the polarity and putting them together. They stick together, but, but scientifically, they really shouldn't stick together. So these protons and neutrons, they should be sticking together. No, they shouldn't stick together. This is scientifically really impossible. It's impossible for them to do this. The scientists can't figure out why the protons and the neutrons stick together. What's the reasoning? Remember, protons have the positive charge, neutrons no charge. Dr. Carol Darrow. Dr. Carol Darrow, he is a leading um, scientist with Bell Laboratories in New Jersey. And he wrote an article one time in the newspaper there in New Jersey where we lived. And this is what he said. He said, all the massive nuclei have no right to be alive at all. Indeed, they should never have been created, and, and if created, they should have blown up instantly. So what he's saying, so we should have having nuclear explosions all over the place because everything in life is made up of matter, therefore it's exposed, um, it's composed of atoms. Yet, here they are, some inflexible inhabitation is holding them relentlessly together. The nature of the inhabitation is also a secret, one thus far reserved by nature for herself. And so what does this physicist say? What does Dr. Carol Darwin say? There's something that's holding this atom together. There's something, I don't understand what it is. It's something, maybe it's Mother Nature. I don't know what it is. I can tell him what it is. I can tell him what the Bible tells us. Look at Colossians 1, 17. I'm going to put it up on the screen. He is before all things, and in him all things, what? Hold together. In him all things hold together. This mighty God, this heroic God is in control of everything. Even to the scientists who look at atoms and it doesn't make sense and who's saying, I don't know why this is. There's something out there and that thing is a secret. We don't even know what it is. It's holding this all together. What is it? The Bible tells us it's the mighty God holding it together. The mighty God. See, this physicist doesn't understand These words hold together mean to cohere, to be constituted with. In other words, according to the Bible, Jesus is literally holding together everything. He calls the sun to rise this morning. He'll cause it to set tonight. He causes the weather. He causes everything. What holds the universe together is not an idea or a virtue. It's a person. It's the resurrected Christ. And you can sit here this morning and you can say, listen, there has to be something out there that's holding it all together. That something is a someone named Jesus Christ, the mighty God, the heroic God holding it together. See, when you believe that Jesus' love for you is greater than the largest star and planet, you'll have hope. 
When you believe that this Jesus, this mighty God, this heroic God, when you believe in him and you believe that he is controlling every minute detail of your life, you will have hope. You'll have hope. And so these first two qualities, this quality of the wonder of the counselor, of the heroic God who holds all things together gives you hope. Why does it give you hope? Let me tell you, I, I have hope that no matter what happens this week, no matter what happens the next week, you know, what happens next year in 2016, no matter what happens, my God is in control. And because of that, I can live every day with confidence and with hope. What's the third quality? The third quality that we find in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, is simply this this morning. Jesus, as the everlasting Father, keeps his promises. <coughs> Jesus, as the everlasting Father, keeps his promises. Have you ever had someone promise you something and then it not come true and then not fulfill it? How do you feel? Just talk to me for a second. Just yell out. How do you feel when somebody promises something to you and then they don't do it? What's that? Bereft. Bereft. Okay. How disappointed. What else? Frustrated. Betrayed. Angry. Now, how many of you this morning will admit that you have had a promise that somebody's made to you broken? Raise your hand. Probably just about all of us. How many of you would say this morning, I've made a promise and then I've broken it? Okay, yeah, pretty much all of us. I mean, all of us. I mean, we've promised our kids something, haven't we? We've promised them something, and then we don't do it. We don't deliver. I see Tom and Noah going back and forth there. I thought Tom was perfect, Noah. But you know what? Listen, we all do that, and we know what it means to make a promise and break it, and we know what it means to be on the other side of that. And to have a promise broken. It is. It's hurtful. These words that we use to describe this morning. You know, we, we've all promised our kids something, you know, one time or another. And uh, it just breaks, it breaks our heart when we know that we've hurt our kids. You know, it tells us in Peter, Second um, Peter chapter 1, verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. Let me read it again. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. Do you know that there's over 3,000 3, promises to man from God? In the Bible, 
Over 3,000 promises that God makes to man in the Bible. Jesus as God, the Son, has all the divine attributes of the Father. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. It says this, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. It says, he, that's referring to Jesus, is the perfect imprint and very image of God. Here it says, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word after he had provided purification for sin. And I love that. He's the perfect imprint, the very image. Jesus was the very image of God. In fact, over and over and over again in the New Testament, Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen what? The Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am the perfect imprint. I am the perfect image of the Father. So if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And those same promises that God gives to us, these promises are from him. It says he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven to make intercession for you and me. He's holding those promises for us. And let's just give you some verses this morning that remind you what those promises are. Let's look at some of these verses that remind us how God's promises never fail. Let's put the first one up there. Psalms 46, 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. He says, well, God is our hope, our help in our present time of trouble. I love Psalms. I love the humanity, the emotion of Psalms. A lot of those were written by David. And I love how sometimes at the first part of the psalm, what we might call the, the opening of, of that chapter of that, or that verse of the psalm, you know, David is sort of upset with God. And he's saying, God, where are you? What are you doing? You know, can't, don't you see that I'm going through a lot of pain and agony here, God? Don't you see I'm going through a lot of trial and tribulation? And then all of a sudden, by the end of, a, by the, end of the chapter, he's rejoicing and praising God because he sees that God fulfills his promise. God is our refuge. He is our help and when we go through difficulties. Let's look at the next one. Psalms 84, 11. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he be, uh, withhold from those who walk, it, walk is blameless, whose walk is blameless. So if we're striving to do what is right, as the psalmist says here, we're striving. He is our shield. He is the one who bestows good things upon us. He promises that. And so, Christian, this morning I want to encourage you to walk in the ways of God, to walk in His love, to walk in His holiness, to walk in His sanctification, because He wants to give you every good gift. Another one. Um, Psalms 92, 12 through 13, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. Again, we are talking about this God who loves us, this 
God who is there for us. And it says there, listen, we will flourish like a palm tree. And the thing about a palm tree that's always interesting to me is when a, when a hurricane comes along, that tree will bend, but it usually will not what? It won't break. It won't break. And, and the same thing is, listen, as we go through the storms of life, no, no matter how vicious they are, no matter how difficult they are, God will make us to flourish. God will make us like that tree that can bend, but it won't break. That's a promise that he's given to us when we desire to walk in righteousness. Look at another one here. So do not fear. Do not fear. For I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What did the angel say to the shepherds that night on the fe- on, out in the fields, the night of Christ's birth? What? Don't fear. Don't be in fear. Listen, Jesus has come. So I'll say the thing, same thing. We don't need to live in fear. We don't le- need to be dismayed. No matter what's going on in the world, we don't need to be people of fear. In fact, the Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. And so he's telling us here, listen... He's going to strengthen you. He's going to help you. He's going to uphold you. And then the last one, John 14, 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. I love this verse. I share it all the time at funerals. What? I'm going to prepare a place. Jesus, when he he told his disciples, listen, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to get you, and you're going to come be with me there. And that's a promise. That gives us great hope to know once we die, we can be in heaven with Jesus Christ. See, when you believe that Jesus' love for you is greater than the largest star or planet in your universe, that he's the mighty God and has everything in your life under control, and is the everlasting Father, He is, always keeps His promises, you can have hope. You can have hope. And then the last, as we close this morning, quality number four from Isaiah about Christ. Jesus, as the Prince of Peace, has made peace between God and me. Jesus, as the Prince of Peace, has made peace between God and me. The Prince of Peace, referring specifically to the fact that Jesus made peace between you and God. See, the thing that caused that peace to be broken, in fact, when you're born into this world, you are an enemy. You're an enemy of God. You're on your way to hell when you're born into this world, and you're an enemy. And, 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 and because we're enemies, we need to have peace made, but we can't make it ourselves. We can't do it ourselves. And so what did he do? He paid the price for the sin to be forgiven because God is righteous. There had to be a price paid. You know, for God to say about your sin and my sin, I know you didn't mean it. You know, boys will be boys, girls will be girls, no big deal. You know, uh, it's going to be okay. He can't do that. There had to be a price that was paid for sin, and that price was God sending Jesus into the world 
to die for your sin and my sin. It means when we come to that point and we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No longer will his wrath be poured out upon me. We don't have to worry about the wrath of God because Jesus took all that wrath upon himself. He was the one who provided peace. Look what the Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. We'll put the verse up there. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Talking about all his fullness, all of God's fullness dwelling in Jesus. And through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood shed on the cross. Jesus' blood that he shed on the cross for your sin and my sin was making peace with God. I love this story. How many of you have read Don Richardson's missionary story? It's a great read. It's called Peace Child. And uh, just if, you, if you've never read it, you ought to get the book and you ought to read it and because it's really great there in Indonesia how there was this ruthless tribe and they would fight against each other and uh, all the time murdering each other. Um, but there was a custom, an analogy that he realized how he could take this analogy and he could get the message of Christ and Christ's reconciliation across to these savages who lived in the middle of the jungles of Indonesia. And so this peace child, this book called Peace Child, um, came from this custom where one of the tribes would take a child and they literally would give it to the other tribe and let that tribe raise that child. As long as that child was alive, there would be peace between the two tribes. That's why it was called the peace child. So they would take a child, give it to another, an, an enemy to raise. As long as it was alive, there would be peace. And you can imagine what, what Don Richards did when he shared that Jesus is the peace child. That, that custom that, that showed that Christ was God's peace child to all men. That reconciliation could come through, through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Prince of Peace and made peace possible for you and for me and the Father to be reconciled. So, where are you today? Where are you today? When you think about these four qualities, which of the four qualities that you need to be reminded of this morning? Which of these four qualities of Christ? Was it the immense love that God has for you that's greater than the largest stars and largest planets? Did you just need to be reminded this morning of the vastness of the wonder of Counselor's love for you? Or is it that Jesus, the mighty God, has all your problems under control? Did you need to hear that this morning? Did you need that there's never a time where something happens that God isn't at work in your life? Maybe that's what you needed to hear this morning. Uh, maybe you, you reasoned with the fact that Jesus, the everlasting Father, always keeps his promises. Or maybe this morning you finally connected with the final one that says that he is the Prince of Peace. 
Maybe you've connected this morning that you really don't have peace with God. That if you were to die today, that you would spend eternity in hell separated from God. And so this morning, you need to accept God's peace child, Jesus Christ. Which one do you resonate with this morning? All of them give great hope in this Christmas season. Let's pray. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, maybe you're here this morning and you would say, Dick, you know, if I died today, I'm not 100% sure I'd go to heaven. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you're sitting here and you say, boy, if I'm just not sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. But I really want to know that. Would you pray for me? I need to know the Prince of Peace. And I want to pray. I, I won't call you by name, but I do want to pray for you as we close. You know, right where you sit there, it might be as simple as saying, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. He was buried and rose again. And I'm putting my faith and trust in that to take me to heaven. If you do that today and you pray, the prayer doesn't save you. It's the faith in Jesus. You could know for sure before you walked out of here, you're on your way to heaven today. Whatever the need is, maybe you just need to bask in the love of God. Maybe you just need to celebrate that you, we have a God that keeps his promise. I don't know what your need is this morning, but I believe that those four qualities of Christ that we see in his name from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, meet every need that we have. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Thank you, Father, that you want to rule and reign in our lives. You want to show us love more immense than we can imagine. You've given us the word of God to give us counsel. Father, that you are our mighty God, our heroic God who is in control of everything in our life. And God, you give us peace between you and the Father, between us and the Father. Thank you for these four names of our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.